Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by wealthmanagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of wealthmanagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors. Guests join me to talk about their own personal struggles, own experiences, and you know, really these are things that impact everyone, not just advisors. My guest today is Connor Delaney, founder of The Good Life Companies, an independent advisory firm with about 200 advisors aimed at serving the needs of middle America. This podcast episode might be a little different from those I've done previously because Connor, you, on the one hand, you yourself have had your share of struggles and we'd like for you to share some of those things with us, but you also work with 200 advisors. So you have a good purview into the tendencies and struggles within that advisor base. And I know you've used some of your own experiences to help them with those as well. But let's start with your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood. What was that like? I know you grew up in New Jersey, right? Yep. I, I grew up in Monmouth County, New Jersey. It's about a 35 or 40 minute ferry ride over from Manhattan. So I, a lot of times people refer to Red Bank as mini Wall Street. I grew up around financial services for my whole life. That said, my parents were school teachers. So I didn't necessarily understand financial services, obviously not to the extent that I do now, but I actually grew up in a in a family that almost looked down on financial services. One of these things where you don't want to be like this person when when they grow up because the notion that came along or the the representation that came along with the person that they would be talking about oftentimes was so Mr. Smith over there, you know, he's he's struggling with this or he's struggling with that. Oh, and he works on Wall Street. So I grew up around Wall Street, around financial advisors and financial services. My most of my upbringing, uh, it just wasn't something I was exposed to until I got into the business. Uh, you know, obviously right after high school with everything that happened. Right, but you had a little bit of a humble beginning. Your parents didn't make a lot of money, right? They were school teachers. Tell us a little Correct. bit about that. So uh, we grew up in in Rumson, which is a couple towns over from Red Bank, and having two parents that were school teachers for a living, uh, it wasn't like we could relate to most of the people in Monmouth County. My parents, uh, oftentimes, we only had one car, and there wasn't a week or two that went by that the car wasn't in the shop. Unfortunately, we wound up being probably the poorest and the fattest kids in the school for the majority of our lives, and that was just a result of our parents, the, the the decisions that they had to make and the minimal amount of money that they made. And, and some of the, the results of that was the, the life that we grew up with. It wasn't a bad life. My parents were awesome people. They were great people. My father was a teacher of the year in Keensburg, New Jersey, um, you know, one or two times. And, and he was always there. They were always present with us. But health wasn't a big part of what we dealt with or, or what was we were exposed to as far as good health. We weren't, that wasn't a regular thing for us. 
And, mm. and it was always a struggle from the time that we were a kid until, until going up and through high school and, and kind of hitting, sort of hitting rock bottom from there and then building up from, from that point going forward. So Connor, what was that moment where it was rock bottom? So uh, again, growing up with with being sort of the poorest, fattest kid in the school, one of the things that that had happened was that my parents put their own health on the back burner. Uh, my parents uh, mm-hmm. often struggled with their own afflictions and their own their own struggles, and, and one of them was just not taking care of themselves. And so, the day after I graduated high school, my father, who was in great health the night before at our high school graduation, I found him in a coma. I took him to the hospital, and he went up passing away on, on Father's Day 2003, a week to the oh day gosh. after uh, we graduated. We, I was given his eulogy in, in a church full of, um, full of people that you know, he had defected over the course of his 30 years plus of teaching. So I would say that that was a monumental thing that happened. Um, the weird thing was that being 17 years old at the time, we were in a, I was in a position where all of a sudden I didn't have sort of that authoritative figure anymore to say, hey, it's time, you know, do you be home by this time or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. And so some of the core mm-hmm. disciplines that were instilled in me early on really probably saved my life at that point because I could have gone in a totally different direction. And I know a lot of people that did. And, and so to have, you know, a sibling that struggled with alcohol abuse for a good portion of her life and to have some of the other things that happened as a result of that you know, now having the perspective of looking back 15 years later at that situation, it could have been a lot worse, although obviously it wasn't uh, anything to, at the time, it, it, it seemed like it, it, there wasn't going to be any real digging out of that situation. Mm. And I mean, how did you feel during that time after your, your father's death? What were you going through? Um, so right after he passed away, that was in June, um, in September, my aunt, who, who raised us so my parents could go work two and three jobs, she drank so much and uh, as again as an alcoholic and uh, missed her baby mm-hmm. brother, and she killed herself. And shortly after oh, that, God. my mom started having precursors to a stroke, and to this day is now 100% mentally disabled. And so I think mm-hmm. uh, one of the, the things that sort of became a struggle to me right out of the gate was just the the mental thought around everything that was happening and and to be positive despite the fact that your world is kind of falling apart around you and and finding the the discipline to to have an attitude of gratitude despite things not really going your way was something that that was a, a part of a core time in my life where I could look at myself and and maybe one of my other siblings and say hey you know here here one person looked at the glass as half empty one person looked at it as half full and this is what the result looks like again having the perspective now of looking 15 years down the road and being able to look 15 years backwards yeah so i know that you went off to college that fall what happened i guess when you went off to college i know you said you you had sort of a, a, a professor or a counselor that you spoke to that helped you a little bit during that time it was it was actually it was probably one of the more fortunate things that has happened to me, I, I was at school as a double major, accounting and criminal justice, and my my goal was to go into the FBI. Again, never having heard anything positive about business or financial services, my thought mm-hmm. was I'll just go and be in the FBI and, and go and catch all the bad guys. And yeah. um, going into the accounting school, one of my professors, who's still a great friend today and is still actually involved in the organization that we've built in more of a consultative capacity, he sat me down and he said, you know, with everything that you're going through, Granted, your parents didn't have much, but with everything that you're going through, you should consider a career in financial services. And so off I went to explore what that meant and becoming a financial advisor and an internship program and all the great things that, that could happen if I took that career path. And 
one of the things that I saw was that a college degree wasn't required. And so I decided to create a resume for the first time in my life at 18 years old and to take that resume and to push it out to all the large firms and see if anybody wanted to take a flyer and interview a 18, almost 19-year-old kid to get into financial services and, and uh, help me to, to, get on, to get my career started. And fortunately, I, I had one company that came out and said, you know, we, we, we like your story. We believe in you. And although you don't necessarily have the natural market and all the things that you would hope that, that your new prospective advisor would have, maybe they saw a little bit of grit and determination or, or whatever the case might have been to say, hey, we'll, we'll give this 18-year-old going to be a sophomore in college kid a chance at uh, launching his career while still fully enrolled in, in college and playing NCAA hockey and things like that. Wow. Uh, and so did you stay in school? Did you finish school? I did. did so my have, parents were educators, about? right? So I, I didn't yeah. really have a choice. If I, would have, if I would have not completed school, and I thought about it because obviously my time became better spent in the business from a standpoint of being able to provide for my family. But at the same time, I knew mom and dad weren't going to be happy if I decided to, to leave college. So what I did was I went to school from 530 to 1030 at night my scholarships forced me to stay active as an NCAA athlete. And so I played ice hockey. Our hockey time was 1045 until one o'clock in the morning. And then I ran my business from seven o'clock in the morning until it was time to go to class at night. And so I was able to do all three. And again, like I was saying in the beginning, a lot of it is perspective. So it's how are you how you're approaching the situation where people look and say, wow, he's that's busy. That, that life stinks. That's crazy. I looked at it and said, how convenient that hockey starts at 1045 at night because it gives me the ability to do all those other things. And so my majors in business management and accounting. And, but at the time that I graduated school, I was already a practicing advisor for two and a half years, which was great mm -hmm. because it gave me the opportunity to kind of get out of the gate much quicker than some of the other folks that I graduated with. Yeah. It's good to plan ahead like that. Were you, I guess, how did you build a book of business? Because like you said, you didn't have a lot of money growing up. Did you know people with money? Because I mean, that's like the big, the big struggle, right? As a financial advisor, starting out the, the 500 day war is what they call it. You know, when you try to build up a big book of business at the beginning, how did you go about doing that? So I had the best example. My father was a school teacher. I saw what community service looked like and, and how to be a good leader in your community. It's just that my father had chosen a career that didn't financially reward him as much as it rewarded him with the impact that he was making in other people's lives. And so having been able to stand in, in the pulpit at the church and look at 1,100 people that came to his funeral and, and to mm, be able to make the wow. decision, the conscious decision right there to say, this is what I want to be when I grow up. This is who I want to be when I grow up. That was awesome. Uh, the flip side of that was that I didn't want my kids to be poor. I, I mean, we lost our first house when I was 10 years old. I remember getting off the school bus and dumpster diving for my, my toys and, you know, the things that I, mm -hmm. I grew up with from the time I was a baby. And so I was on a journey to kind of make sure that whatever sacrifices, if you would even call them that, that I would make as the 18, 19, 20 year old kid, would position me to be able to be the father my dad was, to be the community mm. leader and the community servant that my dad was, but also to be able to build a business that was going to have my kids not have to worry about the same things that I had to worry about. And so what I decided to do was to get involved in the community in ways that I would get involved whether or not I was in this business. And so my first manager, who also said, fake it till you make it, which 
I kind of had to listen to, even though I disagreed with how he said that statement, because at the time I was living in the backseat of my car with one pair wow. of dress pants, a golf shirt, a dress shirt, and that was it. I'd shower at the gym at the office and, and try and put it together every day for the first three, four months until I started to get some traction with my efforts. But wow. he, the other thing he said was see as many people as often as possible. And so I would actually take the other approach. I said I would want to see the same people as often as possible. So what are the, the, who are the type of people I want to serve and how do I make sure that I'm inside of their communities? And that's what I did. I started coaching basketball at the girls' high school because I loved basketball. I played it most of my life. I got involved with the YMCA. My father worked at the YMCA in the summer, so it was easy for me to find a passion in an organization that did so much for me growing up as a camper and so much for my family with my dad being able to work there. And I decided that if people know, like, and trust you as an individual, eventually you'll have a platform to talk to them about how you can help them with your business. And that's what it did. And it was a, it was a little bit more a little bit of a longer sales process or grind, but it gave me the opportunity yeah. to to have relationships that were much deeper than just the person that just so happened to call at the right time to talk to you about your stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Yeah, I know you said to me, you know, before that you never had an advisor growing up because advisors were are always defining the relationship by how much money you have, not the depth of the need of the person. Are you, is that a big goal of your company now and finding advisors that see things that way? It's amazing how, how many financial advisors we've worked with that are so happy to have an organization that isn't saying, Hey, drive the Jaguar, live in the fancy house, all this stuff, not because you can't afford it, but because what you want to do is, is be the person that your client wants you to be not the person that the big organization has you feeling like you ought to be. And so our business is built with sort of my New Jersey chip on my shoulder, which is this, this idea that we can disrupt middle America in a positive way. We can disrupt Wall Street in a positive way by delivering a fair business relationship between the advisors and the, and the firm that they're working with to help them to provide that platform and services for the clients. If we can do that well, then what happens is that we're no longer chasing the, the, the million, the multi-million dollar accounts. Do we have them? Absolutely. But that's not what we're after. We're after doing the right thing. And we're after our advisors looking more like community servants than looking like the guy that just is, you know, the richest dude in the town. And so our advisors largely have been willing to sort of shed that burden of needing to, to, to look something and be something that, frankly, a lot of them don't want to be. These are guys now that are, are in you know, Greenville, Carolina, that are in the middle of small town USA, all across the United States, that would much rather wear their jeans to work with a blazer and, and feel relatable to their clients. And so what happens is that the clients that they're serving, it becomes a much more wider scope of types of folks that they're working with, which is right up our alley. If somebody would have sat with the school teacher that was 50 years old and had three kids going to college and said, hey, you have, you have some exposure here. What if something happens to you? Then I wouldn't have been living in the backseat of my car when I was 17. And so sure. th that's kind of what the, 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 the desire for disruption has been fueling the organization for the last 15 years. We have the great opportunity of serving over 100,000 families around the United States through our 200 plus advisors. And the best way that we can do that is by giving them a way that they can engage with clients, no matter the size of, of the assets under management that the client might have. Yeah. So how, how were you able to overcome all these struggles? Was it through, was it 
mainly channeling your struggles into the business or I just wonder if you could help us, you know, walk us through how you overcame all these things. Sure. So I think the one thing that you and I talked about when, when we first spoke was I could have easily had a different path and that path should have been my parents struggled with alcoholism. My aunt and uncle struggled with alcoholism. Their parents struggled with alcoholism. And so naturally losing your dad at, at 17 and for all intents and purposes, your mom at 18, I, I had every reason to fall into that. And right. so what I decided to do was to take that the same tendencies that people have when, when they fall into those dark holes and I channeled them into things that were going to give you a positive result. And so I'm no different than, than the alcoholic that goes to AA. This is what I've told my guys that have had these real life struggles. I can relate to you because I have the mm-hmm. same addictive tendencies. It's just channeling that addiction into something that's going to be, that's going to give a positive outcome. So for example, my growing up the fattest kid in my school, being five foot seven, 240 pounds the first day of high school, and the journey that we've been on, my wife and I just got done running our this closing the loop on the sixth world major marathons, having run wow. Tokyo, Berlin, Boston, New York, Chicago, and London over the course of two years. Um, wow, that's and so, amazing. So, so again, so the, the cool thing is, uh, could I have gotten really good at drinking? Yeah. Could I have gotten really good at smoking or doing drugs or doing things that wouldn't have given me the opportunity to, to channel the addictions the right way? Absolutely. But what we decided to do is make a, make a decision that was going to give us a better outcome. And that was to focus on our health and to focus on building a business. And so the addiction is still there. It's just channeling that into something that's going to make sense. Growing the business, being a father, being a husband, and taking care of our health. And it's probably not healthy to run six. I don't know. I'm not a doctor to help to run six marathons and, and you know, train 2000 miles in, in 17 months. There's probably something because of the addictive personality that drove me to that, that level of craziness while running the business and being a dad and doing all those other things. But the, the cool thing was, is that the result has been the healthiest person, the best leader for my business, the best leader for my kids, the best leader for my clients that I can be as a result of that. Yeah. And what type of struggles have you observed among your advisor force? What what do they tend to do, I guess, in terms of problem struggles that you see I've among seen them? It, I would say the, a tremendous amount of the folks in our industry deal with addiction. And it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean an addiction to drinking. It, it does a lot of times. It might be an addiction to food. It might be addiction mm-hmm. to things that, that you know, they... they have struggled with since they were kids. Uh, so I would say addiction is probably the number one thing that, that we see. And maybe as a secondary is, is kind of the instant gratification. You know, we're, we're raised in this business to be, to be chasing the next box, the next grid, the next pay raise, the next, you know, bonus trip, the next, whatever. And all those things are, they train you to, to kind of do what you have to for the immediate gratification of being able to say that you've done them. And Absolutely. in reality, yeah. you know, you, you take a step back and you think like, why, why are we doing these? Why, why, what's, what does that next box on the sales grid mean? What does that next trip mean? You know, and one of the things that, that I've gone back and forth with, with this constant sort of pursuit of disruption and pursuit of, of perfection inside of this business that we're building is the trade-off. Like I've missed 197 bedtimes in almost eight years for, for my, mm. my, my daughter, my oldest daughter. Now, some people might say, hey, that's a pretty good ratio. She's been alive, rough math. She's been alive 2,600 days. You've missed 197. Like, you're doing all right, you know? But 
it's it's corralling the discipline to say like if if number 198 is on the table and it requires me running across the Houston airport to get to the other terminal so I can make the flight home so I can be there for bedtime if that's what has to happen that's what has to happen and so what we need to do is make sure that our body and our mind and our heart are prepared for what we're going to put it through on a daily basis and this is what I talk to my guys about the people that are struggling with with the issues of of you know addiction or or poor health or whatever the case is it's why? What are we chasing? And, and, and is it the right thing? And if it's not, how can we channel that into doing something better? Yeah. Well, I think it's impressive that you're even counting those bedtimes because I, I'm not doing that with my own kids. But <laughs> So where do you think advisors should turn to for support on personal well-being? There's not a lot in this industry. In my you know, experience, I haven't seen much, but where do you think they can turn Oh, hopefully advisors can turn to their, the companies. I think mm. we're starting to see companies change the way that, and change the expectations of, of what, what an advisor should be both to them as a corporate asset, but also to the clients that they're serving. And, and I know that we're trying to drive a lot of that change, but like, for example, Transamerica, they've done a great job of bringing a health and wealth sort of culture to to the client relationship, and I would imagine mm. that that rolls from the top down into the into the individual relationship as well. And so, if that's a, a microcosm of of a macro industry wide trend, then it would be exciting if we saw companies like Good Life start to lead in in a desire to have our advisors be as well as we hope that they're making their clients. That would be where I would start with with regards to health and and the desire to chase those healthy habits and everything if there's a community inside of the place that you you work at that's the thing that we've been driving very very hard with our employees and and with the advisors that we serve is it's having the ability to give them nutrition and fitness and some of the other things that we've paired inside of our little ecosystem both from an advisor standpoint as well as to the clients that they're serving and then besides that, and outside of the four walls of the company that they work with or work for, it's, you know, finding that in your community. And, and mm-hmm. there's a lot, the running community, the, the uh, nutrition community, the, uh, it's a pretty tight knit group of people. If, if we if, as advisors spend three hours researching those type of things for ourselves, uh, the same three hours that we'll spend looking up the, the last quarterly report for Apple and studying that so that we can make a good decision for our clients then we're going to be in a much better situation. I remember when my mom was sick, she was in a coma for 41 days. And my brother and I were having this discussion about how much more effort we were going to put into, into getting her well again. And it involved blood transfusions and donating blood and everything else. And at Mm -hmm. 23 years old, I I was like, sign me up. She brought me into this world. I'm all in. And my health started to get bad. And so I remember talking to somebody and, and she said, Connor, just remember if you don't take care of yourself, then what good are you going to be to other people? And I think if advisors who are some of the some of the most selfless people, because they're always worried about, are my clients going to be okay? Do they have a good risk management plan in place? Are they prepared for a long-term care need, et cetera? If the advisor takes a step back and says, wait a second, I need to be okay. I need to make yeah. sure that I'm here for that long, long ride. And they make that investment in themselves that they they start focusing on that piece that their life can can change for the better as a result of that too. Yeah, absolutely. I think advisors often don't plan for themselves, you know, financially and 
physically, emotionally, they plan for their clients, but you know, they need to focus on themselves. Like you said, and again, I think it's the the industry has done that. Right. So like, I just had this mantra the other day, it hit me. I was on a plane coming back from, from, I think Atlanta. And I was thinking about culture, the culture that we're building in our organization, the culture that the industry sort of the, the, the gray cloud or the blue skies, depending on how you look at it, that our industry has over its head. And the, the thing that hit me was if we can start focusing on outcomes instead of on income, then I think we're going to wind up in a much better place. And so I, I've started to kind of talk to, to my advisors as we're, we're getting into the first quarter and starting to talk to them about their 2020 goals and everything. And one of the things they're saying is, you know, my, my goal is to make X. And I'm like, let's check X. What does X mean to you? If you could trade X and get a better health or an extra week of time with your family or an extra hour to be at home with your kids at night, what is that worth to you? It's this trade-off, this tokens for time thing. Yeah. But it's gonna it's it's you know, to move that needle, it requires a lot of people believing in similar things. And I think the industry is is kind of ripe for positioning ourselves better so that we can serve our clients better and also holding ourselves to a different expectation than maybe we have in the past, where it's not necessarily all about picking stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and the stress and the pressure that goes along with doing that, which is an incredible hard thing to do and do right. But it's about promoting a positive lifestyle, both for the advisor, but also for the clients that they serve. Or I should say both for the clients that they serve, but also for the advisor who's always putting the client ahead of their own needs and expectations. Yeah, that's a great outlook, I think, and a great thing for advisors to hear. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Connor Delaney. Connor, thank you so much for being on the show and especially for being so open about these issues. It's been very, very, very interesting. Absolutely. Uh, great time being here. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. If you'd like to reach out to Connor or if you have any questions for about the Good Life Companies, you can email him at ceo at goodlifeco.com. And if you have a struggle and wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe button, uh, subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there is healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.